from the corner of 16th and Peachtree Street, right next to the High Museum of Art in Midtown Atlanta. Welcome to the First Presbyterian Church. I'm Senior Pastor Tony Sundermeyer, and I want to thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. And I would invite you now to join us in the worship of God. is from Jeremiah 31, verses 15 through 17, and can be found in your pew Bible on pages 690 of the Old Testament, if you would like to follow along. Listen to God's word to you and to me. Thus says the Lord, a voice is heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children, because they are no more. Thus says the Lord, keep your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears. There is a reward for your work, says the Lord. They shall come back from the land of the enemy. There is hope for your future, says the Lord. Your children shall come back to their own country. Our second text is from the Gospel of Luke, chapters 20, chapter 23, verses 27 through 31 and can be found on, pages 80, on page 83 of your New Testament portion of the Pew Bible. In solidarity with the people of Ukraine, I will be first reading the passage in Ukrainian and then in English. Continue to listen to God's word to you and me. As a name ishov nato velikich ludei i zhinok, yeki plakali ta holosili za nem, a Jesus obernuvse do nich, Тай промовив, дочки Єрусалимські, не ридайте за мною, за собою ридайте і за дітьми своїми. Бо ось дні наступають, коли скажуть, блажені неплідні та утроби, які народили, і груди, що не годували. Тоді стануть казати горам, поспадайте на нас, а узірам покрийте нас. Бо коли таке роблять зеленому деребу, то що буде сухому? And in English, a great number of people followed him, and among them were women who were beating their breasts and wailing for him. But Jesus turned to them and said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For the days are surely coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore, and the breasts that never nursed. For they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do this when the wood is green, what will happen when the wood is dry? This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Natalia. It's good to see so many children uh, with us today in worship. Uh, if you'd like to participate in godly play, you can do that now by coming up front. Watch the cello and the stands. And I think Pastor Jamie is behind. Yeah, there's Pastor Jamie. She'll be happy to take you over uh, to godly play. As the children depart, I'd invite the rest of the congregation to stand as we sing our middle hymn, number 357, The Days Are Surely Coming.
be seated. We are in the third week of a Lenten sermon series called Characters at the Cross. It has symmetry with our Advent series back in 2021, uh, Characters at the Creche, where we are looking at particular characters that show up uh, in this season of Lent, uh, particularly in uh, the story of Jesus's journey to Calvary. Today we are considering the wailing women that appear in the Gospel of Luke, the 23rd chapter, the text that Natalia has already read for us. Let us then go to God in prayer. Lord, break open this ancient word afresh so that we'd be changed, that we'd be challenged, that we'd be different people than those who came into this sacred space, from those who've logged on, even to be more like your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. I want to begin this morning by talking a little bit about Luke's choices, uh, his word choice in the Greek. Uh, When it comes to describing the action of the women that trail behind Jesus as he's making his way uh, to Calvary, one of the words which we translate as wailing from the Greek uh, literally means that. Sometimes there's words in the Greek that we need multiple words to uh, define it. In this case, it's simply a one-to-one translation. These women are wailing. They are expressing their lament and deep sadness in an audible and visceral way. And this kind of wailing, the Greek word has this, has this sense that it's a, a self-contained sadness. Sometimes our sadness is made manifest in anger and in hostility and in, even in violence towards someone else. That's not the kind of wailing that is happening right now. It's a mourning and a sadness that is deep within somebody's soul. It's the kind of wailing that is heard in the valley of the shadow of death. It's the kind of wailing that's heard when missiles blow up hospitals and bombs break shelters and explosives land on soccer fields where children are at play. That's the kind of wailing we're talking about here. When a life partner draws their final breath, when a couple who longs to have a baby loses another one, when a family member cuts off all ties and abandons the family, when we simply cannot get mentally or physically or spiritually well, it's in those moments that we hear this kind of wailing. It's the kind of wailing the women expressed as they followed close to Jesus as he made his way. And these sounds, I assume, are not unfamiliar to us. We know what this kind of wailing sounds like. We've heard it from our own lips and we've heard it in our own ears. And so we might get a better understanding now of what the women were feeling, what, the kind, of, what kind of wailing we're talking about For Jesus, as he pressed on, was a dead man walking. He carries a a torturous instrument of death to a hill that's nicknamed the skull. The women knew his life was about to end. They knew it. They could see it. And they were mourning 
that impending reality. But there's another word that Luke uses within this text to describe another bit of the action that the women demonstrate. From Luke 23, it's a single Greek word, but as I referenced earlier, this time we need several English words to get at the heart of what this word is all about. And it appears in the English as the women were beating their breasts. In Greek, it's just one word. The women were beating their breasts. The literal translation of this word means to be cut. It means to be cut off. It means to be excised or severed. And so what we are uh, given here in, in Luke's telling is that the women are not only mourning the death of Jesus, but they're also mourning the cutting, the severing of their relationship with him. It's not just that he's going to die. Is that their relationship is going to end with their rabbi, with their Lord, with their Savior, with their God. This relationship will be cut, it will be severed, and things will never, ever be the same. Now, as Jesus turns toward the women, you might think that Jesus would say a very Jesus-y type thing. You might assume that Jesus would, would turn to them and and offer a word of consolation or a word of, of hope or a word of comfort, you know, like he did when, when his friend Lazarus died. Remember what he said to Lazarus' sister, Martha? I am the resurrection and the life, he said. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And all who die and believe in me will live forevermore. You'd expect Jesus to say something like, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Or, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You might even expect Jesus to quote from the prophet Jeremiah, another text that Natalia read for us, specifically when it says, Keep your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, for there is a reward for your work, says the Lord. They shall come back from the land of the enemy. There is hope for your future, says the Lord. Your children shall come back to their own country. You're not far off if you would expect Jesus to say a Jesus-y type thing, but he doesn't. Not only that, what he does say is robustly impossible as he gives a glimpse into the immediate future. Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For the days are surely coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if they do this when the wood is green, what will happen when it's dry? Not only is there no consolation on the road to Calvary, but Jesus is also saying things are going to get worse. Jesus, of course, is the green wood. He is the wood still of life, producing sap to meet our spiritual hunger, producing shade to keep us from the heat of life, producing fruit that nourishes our soul. But he's about to be nailed to another wood. He's about to be nailed to a cross, and his life will literally dry up. 
that the sap will cease, the leaves will fall, the fruit will spoil, and he will die. Things are going to get much worse. He's basically saying, look, when I'm here, this is how they treat me. Do you see this cross on my back? Do you see this road that they're making me walk? Do you see this crown of thorns around my head? And I'm here. Imagine what life will look like when I'm gone. And he basically is saying, grieve for that. Mourn for that. Be concerned for that. Friends, I know that we know what it's like to be in a situation where we are keenly aware that things are about to get worse. We know what that's like. When the doctor diagnoses you or your spouse or a parent with dementia or or ALS, you mourn the diagnosis in the moment, but you also know that it's going to get worse. When you fall off the wagon, start using again. You mourn your addiction, and you know that if you keep using, it's going to get worse. When the relationship ends and you mourn its ending, you look at the calendar and a birth date is coming and a holiday is coming and an anniversary is is coming and you know that it's going to get worse. When you're not invited to the party and you know it's going to get worse when you watch those who were invited post all over social media. When you see troops line up around the border ready to invade you know it's going to get worse. One of the gifts that comes in the Christian life is the ability to tell the truth and to be honest the way that Jesus was with the women. It is going to get worse. And even in that moment, I'm not quite sure Jesus believed consolation was possible. If hope would come, if redemption would be his. Katie Kolwitz, the great German artist, was not unfamiliar with these kinds of experiences. I'd invite you to open your bulletin to the inside cover. I know some of you participated in our Arts Council Ministries discussion and gathering right before this service. If you're participating remotely, our tech team is putting the image up now on your screen. It's a piece from Katie Kolvitz entitled The Mothers, and it was completed in 1921, and it's part of a series called Krieg, the German word for war. Kolvitz was not unfamiliar with the kind of wailing and the kind of cutting and the kind of severing that is talked about in Luke 23. She was a little girl. Two of her siblings died, and she uh, suffered with acute anxiety. Even so, as she grew her Her artistic gifts were were well recognized first by her father and then by her teachers and then she went on to have an illustrious career. But during World War I, one of her sons, Peter, went off to war and died on the battlefield. It was the fall of 1914. Seven years later, she produced this piece called The Mothers. It was a piece a long time in the making along with other pieces that came after her son's death. It triggered that death, a depression in her. 
And while her art had always focused on the working poor and the marginalized and the oppressed and their lamentable circumstances, she began to create works of art specifically to express the inconsolable heart of a parent, especially a mother who had lost their child to war. By World War II, she was old enough to be a grandmother, and one of her grandsons was also killed on the battlefield. Loss after loss after loss after loss. It marked her life and her art expressed that in works that are some of the most emotional and painful that I have ever seen. In this piece, I invite you to look at it again. In this piece called The Mothers, we observe a a huddled mass of women grieving death upon death upon death. And, And I want you to notice the child that is peering out from inside the huddle. The child clinches their their mother's garment. Their face tells us that what they see outside the circle is nothing good. Nothing's on the horizon to bring consolation, to bring hope. There's no solace to be had. The best thing and the only thing they can do, and the only thing the mothers can do, is hold on to each other in this moment. Perhaps you've heard me say this before in various contexts over the past seven and a half years. But the season of Lent must not be rushed. It must not be rushed. We must take our time as we journey to Easter and pay attention to the stories that mark this journey. And if we do that, we give space to the wailing women. We give space to the mothers. We give space to Jesus himself to lament the reality that sometimes things get worse before they get better. As Christians that long for Easter and the power and the promise that comes with the empty tomb, believing that indeed God will and can make all things new, we do trust that the wood that has dried up will once again be green. We do trust that once again it will produce sap and shade and fruit. But in Lent, there is something counterintuitive. In Lent, we're invited to sit in the uncertainty that the wood will be dry forever. That it will never come back to life. That's where the women were in this story. That's where the mothers were in this piece of art. And that's where Jesus was on the road to Calvary. And friends, the church, friends of God and followers of Jesus Christ... They're called to be there, too. Last Sunday, I was, I was greeting people in the narthex as, as worship ended this service. The line had, had dissipated in the back, and there were a few folks still lingering, including the Perulo family. Jerry and Natalia, you heard Natalia read. Their five children, Chella, Elon, Mirabelle, Ada, and Esme, Chell is the only one representing right now. Everyone else is a godly play. Um, as you might have assumed, Natalia just didn't learn Ukrainian for this service. She's from Ukraine. She came to the States as a child with her siblings and her parents. Natalia has let us know that she still has many friends and many family members, specifically living in the western part of Ukraine as the masters of war continue to press into that part of their nation. So last week, as I saw the Perulos, I I went over to Natalia. 
and just wanted to check in and see how she was doing and what she'd heard from family members in Ukraine. When all of a sudden, Ellen Adair Weish, another member of this congregation who's also here in worship today, came near to us. I'm sure they had never met. Ellen Adair introduced herself to Natalia and let her know that she was aware that that she had come from Ukraine as a child. And Ellen Adair looked at Natalia and said, I just want to let you know that I'm praying for you. And I'm praying for your family and your friends. And I also want you to know that I love you. And tears started to form in her eyes and Natalia closed hers and they embraced for a few moments. And as I think back at that moment a week ago today, I realized that I was looking at the mothers in person. There's something to be said for mourning together. In the holy huddle of the wailing women and and the mothers from Katie Kolvitz and Ellen Adair and Natalia, we remember that we do not long or wait for consolation alone like the child that's peering out, we may be like that child, looking for hope, for the group that we're a part of, looking for consolation, looking for redemption, even as we're the broken and battered and expectant body of Christ. And so we move toward each other in these moments to share in lament and grief As Paul says in Romans 12, 12, rejoice in hope, be patient in suffering, persevere in prayer. Friends, we read these texts sometimes and we just think about them individually, but this text is meant for a whole church, that this is a corporate enterprise, that this is a collective endeavor. It's the work of the whole. And this is who we are as the church. This is what it means to be the body of Christ. So let us move toward one another. Let us create these holy huddles. Let's create them. Let someone else know that that they're not alone in their grief. They're not alone in their mourning. Let someone know that that you too have the same longings for for hope and for redemption and for consolation. And, And learn to wait together. Don't move away, move toward Learn to wait together for the hope that's been promised to us. That the dry wood will indeed become green. The dryness of our life will indeed come alive again. But for now, in this third season, third week rather, in the season of Lent, we wait for the consolation that we so desperately long for. And in that way, we are the wailing women. We are the mothers, which is another way of saying we are the church. Amen.